Cyber attacks, which can include data breaches, hacking, infection by computer viruses, and unauthorized access to company or client information, are a very real threat to companies and organizations of nearly any size. You can't make the threat of a cyber attack go away, but you can put yourself in the best possible position to react effectively if your company is targeted. We have a Jones Day panel here to explain what to do when you're preparing against cyber attacks. I'm Dave Dalton. You're listening to Jones Day Talks, Cybersecurity, Privacy, and Data Protection. Jones Day's Jeff Rabkin is a former assistant U.S. attorney working out of both New York City and San Francisco. His responsibilities involved, among other matters, cybercrime investigations. He served on Attorney General Kamala Harris's leadership team and in that capacity oversaw cybercrime prosecutions in California. Jeff frequently advises CEOs and independent directors on incident response and digital forensic investigations, cyber preparedness, and best practices. Jones Day lawyer Jimmy Kitchen is a former assistant U.S. attorney who has led hundreds of investigations, including those involving cyber crimes, corporate trade secret theft, and counterespionage. And Jones Day's Rich DeNatale is one of the nation's leading lawyers in the field of cyber insurance and data breach coverage. He has handled insurance claims and strategy for some of the largest cyber attacks and data breach incidents in history. You can find the complete biographies of Jeff, Jimmy, and Rich at jonesday.com. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. Thank you, Dave. Let's jump right in with Jimmy and Jeff. Let's talk about the most significant cyber threats facing U.S. companies in 2018. Jimmy, you first. Okay. Um, well, I think this can be answered in a couple ways. Um, first, I would say, what is the, the target of the threat? It's always been financial information has always been on that list, but cyber criminals have now diversified their interests and now look for trade secret information as well as personal data that is stored by companies. As far as who the most significant threat actors are out there, I would say it is the nation-state-backed hackers, and it's simply because the resources that they have to bring to this is significant, and it's frankly asymmetrical to what a U.S. company can withstand. Uh, we're talking about folks that are highly trained, have tons of infrastructure, and do this as a job on a daily basis. All right, before we go over to Jeff, define, you said a nation-state-backed hacker? Yes. What is that? These are hackers that are employed by governments such as China or Russia or Iran, for example. Jeff, what's your take on the current state of cyber threats to U.S. companies right now? Yeah, I, I completely agree with Jimmy on this one. I think that um, what we've seen over the course of this year and what I think we can expect to see going forward is the rise of the nation state threat. They've always been there, but you know we're seeing an uptick in their interest. What I would add to Jimmy's response is that while in the past we've seen organized crime and other threat actors looking to monetize data that they steal from U.S. businesses, now we're starting to see, in particular, nation-state actors with different goals. So we're seeing the evolution of the cyber attack. We're seeing long-term corporate espionage, and we're also seeing destructive attacks. In other words, attacks designed to damage U.S. businesses along the lines of the recent North Korean attack. You know, I don't mean to make light of this, but this is the kind of thing that only happened in the movies 10, 15, 20 years ago. How common is this, Jimmy? Oh, it's, it's very common. Even though you only saw it in the movies, it was still happening. <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah. and, and frankly, it's only now uh, recently come to light. I was fortunate enough when I worked at the DOJ to bring the first case where we actually indicted 
members of the Chinese military for conducting corporate espionage. And since that time, the Justice Department has made it a priority to call out these cyber attacks, if for no other reason than to make a statement against our adversaries, but also to educate the public that this activity is in fact happening. Back to Jeff for a minute. I imagine the potential legal risks and challenges resulting from a serious cyber incident are substantial, right? Well, yes, but I think it's important to note here that, you know, the term cyber incident or cyber attack encompasses a broad range of of things. So you can have incidents and attacks that are fairly trivial. Really, most of what we'll be talking about today are the significant intrusions. And so my comments will really be addressed to those. A significant or, or major cyber attack absolutely poses risk to a company. If they become public, and there are many statutes on the books now that require a company to make a cyber attack public if certain kinds of data is accessed or acquired, the primary risk that a company faces on the legal front is class action litigation mm-hmm. and government investigations. That's basically what we're seeing here in the United States and increasingly abroad as well. I think, too, there's reputational risk. Jimmy mentioned trade secrets earlier. This is much broader in its potential implications than maybe many of us had had previously thought. Over to Rich. Rich, where there is risk, there's potential liability. Are there cybersecurity insurance policies available for companies to look into? Well, yes, there certainly are, but you have to exercise a lot of care and focus to make sure you get the right coverage. We've really witnessed a dramatic shift in the insurance industry over the past 10 years as U.S. insurance companies have moved to exclude or sharply limit cyber risk from all the traditional insurance policies U.S. businesses have been buying for the last 25 years. And at the same time, they've developed a new line of coverage known as cyber insurance to fill that gap. Okay, well, what do these particular policies cover then? Well, there are three core coverages you'll find in almost all cyber policies, and those are the cost of retaining a law firm and a forensic firm to conduct an investigation, the cost of notifying affected individuals whose information has been compromised, and the cost of defending and settling against claims that may be brought against the company. Then beyond those three coverages, many but not all policies offer additional coverages that can be quite valuable, things like coverage for responding to regulatory investigations, coverage for revenue that's lost because of a a shutdown, or coverage for uh, restoring lost data, data that's lost in a cyber attack. So there are some very good policies on the market, and if a company has the right coverage, it should absorb most of the breach costs so that the financial hit is really minimal. Okay. Sounds like there is comprehensive coverage available, but what are some of the challenges a company might run into in obtaining cyber insurance? Well, these are complicated policies that are still evolving. Uh, The insurance industry has not yet developed standard forms, and we don't have court decisions yet interpreting them. So companies really don't have a lot of guidance in terms of what they mean. And frankly, there are policies on the market that are really unsatisfactory. We're seeing two tiers of cyber policies emerge, a top tier with the full range of robust coverages I described earlier, and then a second tier that may have the three core coverages but not much else, and also have a host of conditions and requirements that are likely to limit the ultimate recovery. Talk more about those two tiers. How do I decide which tier my company should go into? 
Is it the type of business I'm in, or the industry, or where I'm located, or the size of the company? How do I make that determination in terms of where my company or organization might fit? I think part of it is the size of your company and how much resources you have to invest in a cyber policy. I think part of it is making sure that you have coverages that align with the risks stemming from your business operations. And then you should also just be a smart shopper. You know, there are policies that have way too many exclusions, way too many conditions. And if you're not sure, you should consult with someone, uh, you know, a specialist in the field, such as a broker or coverage counsel. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to preparation for a second. Jimmy and Jeff, at a very high level, let's go to Jeff first. How can in-house counsel and corporate executives prepare their companies for a cyber attack? Again, there have probably been books written on this subject. So what are a couple of key takeaways or points you might talk about in terms of preparation? Sure. Well, well, I agree with you that the question itself is tough to respond to uh, quickly, but um, I would emphasize the importance of reviewing your cyber coverage. Um, You know, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that California recently passed a statute, doesn't go into effect until January 1st, 2020. But what this statute does is provide statutory damages for plaintiffs who might want to sue in the wake of a data breach. Hmm. Um, And it essentially weaponizes data breach litigation to the point where not having appropriate insurance coverage could wind up becoming a major problem. So I think preparation absolutely needs to start with an assessment of coverage. The other things that I would recommend, just sort of core fundamentals for any business that has not yet addressed this, would be the following. I increasingly believe that it is important to have an independent assessment of your cybersecurity program. A lot of times we see businesses, our clients, that rely on their internal information security professionals, which is fine. But having an independent set of eyes come in and compare your security program to industry standards is a very healthy exercise. Okay, who does that? Who would do that sort of analysis or audit or examination for you? We believe the best practice would be to retain outside counsel and then have, in turn, outside counsel retain a technical consultancy. There are any number of firms out there that can assist and support legal counsel in taking a look at your cybersecurity program. The reason why we recommend you do this through counsel is because, of course, to the extent you have an external set of eyes come in and look under the hood and maybe find some gaps or some things that aren't quite right, we would want to protect those observations under the attorney-client privilege and as attorney work product. So we don't want to generate discoverable gap assessments, if that makes sense. It sure does. Jimmy, anything you'd add to that? Yes, aside from uh, doing an audit like that, which I wholeheartedly agree with, there's no real magic bullet when it comes to cybersecurity other than you have to train your folks, you have to have technical security in place that is adequate, and then you have to adapt as well because the technical threat changes, but also your business changes as well. And as your business changes, those needs that you're going to have for cybersecurity are going to change as well. So it is a constantly evolving process and and one that is not a one-time event. This, this is like a really core point, Jimmy. I think, I think what you're saying, I just want to emphasize it. It is so important for clients to understand that security is not a place you get to. It is a process. That's exactly. good. Repeat that for everybody, Jeff. I love that. Security is not a destination or a goal. It's a process. That's exactly right. And that's a really important concept for executive management to wrap their arms around. It's a process. And 
Jimmy, I'm sorry for interrupting you, but I, I just heard you said that and I loved it and I just wanted to emphasize I completely agree. Let's talk about incidents response in terms of having a good incidents response plan and an incident response team. Jeff, let's take one at a time. What does a good incident response plan look like uh, at a high level again? What should be in there? Well, I'm going to back up from your question just a little bit, Dave, and, okay. and answer it like this. In my view, at again, at sort of a, a high level, there's, there's four legs to this stool, okay? There's four things. These are fundamentals. You've got to have these in place in order to have effective incident response. One is you need to know your environment. You need to know what data you have and where it lives. You need to categorize that data because some data is sensitive, and if it gets into the wrong hands, it causes real problems. Some data is not. So that's the first thing, know your environment. The second thing is you got to have escalation protocol. Information security or IT needs to know when to reach out to legal and let them know, hey, we might have a problem here. Mm -hmm. You also need a team and the team needs a plan. The team is really important because sometimes what we see is organizations that have not clearly designated who is going to be the what's called the incident commander. In other words, who is going to be in charge? What's so tough about handling a significant cyber attack is that you typically have to make really hard decisions quickly and without all of the information that you would ideally want in order to make those decisions. And if somebody isn't clearly designated or a group of people isn't clearly designated as, hey, this is your project, you need to own it, then what we see sometimes is dysfunction and delay. So you need to have a clearly identified team. And then, of course, your plan, and this depends on, on the organization, but the plan should include things like who are the external resources to whom we're going to reach out in the event of a very serious incident. Okay, okay. Let's back up a second. You talked about that response team needs to have a leader. Here's the quarterback. Here's the go-to guy. Who else in the client settings you've been involved with, who else typically makes up that team, the incident response team? Well, I think a good incident response team is cross-disciplinary because cyber incidents create issues not just for the technical team, but for other teams as well. So what I would want to see at a minimum are lines of business involvement, I would want to see, of course, information security involvement, legal involvement, and then uh, communications. When you start talking about cyber intrusions that may become public, you need to start having a communications plan. How are we going to respond to customer inquiries, business partner inquiries, reach outs from the press, things like that? So I think comms has to be part of the team as well. Absolutely. And if I, Dave? Please, Rich. If I could add to that, I think also part of the team should be the person in your organization responsible for insurance, usually the risk manager, mm -hmm. and then accounting should be involved to track all the costs so they can later be recovered on an insurance claim. That's a great point. Yeah, this is starting to sound like a full-time job for somebody, certainly in a large organization, just coordinating this. And is this something, I mean, we have fire drills in our building and everybody kind of knows where to go, what to do. Is this something you practice? I can't come up with a better word than that. But I mean, with your clients, they say, okay, let's pretend this happened. Where do you go? Who's holding the, uh, the briefcase? How do we set the process in motion? Do they literally drill through these things or should they? Yeah, absolutely. So a sort of fundamental best practice now is to periodically engage in exactly what you just described, Dave. We don't call it a fire drill. We call it a, a tabletop exercise. 
But yes, absolutely. The plan can't just be some piece of paper that you file away somewhere. It actually has to be an operative plan where that people practice and drill. And, and yes, to your point, Dave, some of our clients do have a full-time incident response team that is regularly engaged in handling incoming incidents. I would think so. Let's go back to Jimmy for a second. Jeff mentioned external resources that could play a role in the event of a breach people outside the organization. What types of people are we talking about? You don't want to be scrambling or caught flat-footed when something happens. In terms of people outside the corporation, who are we talking about? What kinds right. of roles do they fill? Well, before there was 911, obviously you wanted to know the fire department's number before a fire actually ha happened. And, and the same is kind of true here when it comes to cybersecurity. You don't want to be in a situation where you don't know who the players are that can assist you, and you don't want to be vetting those folks when your house is on fire. And yeah. so you want to know ahead of time who is the most qualified. You want, you want an outside counsel for all the reasons that Jeff mentioned. Your, your outside counsel is going to be your quarterback. It's going to be the one that's going to direct all of the communications that are going to be ongoing in order to keep those things privileged. But all of those communications are going to be with folks like forensic investigators. You're not going to want to, to go searching for one at that time. You're going to have one that you trust. Okay. You're going to want to have cybersecurity consultants that have some familiarity with your network, ideally, before something happens. And I would also uh, throw in there that there are government contacts that you're going to want to, want to have. We'll uh -huh. talk a little bit, I know, later about bringing law enforcement in or other government agencies in, but you want to know folks that can come to your aid from the government as well. And finally, there's an entire cybersecurity intelligence apparatus out there that your uh, information security professionals can draw upon to keep your network as secure as possible and keep that adaptation going. And these can be in the form of an InfraGuard, which are uh, locally created FBI consortiums of, of information security officers, as well as other intelligence sharing agencies that are popping up all over the country right now. Well, with, with state of affairs as they are, at least it sounds like the way you're describing this, there is good help out there that's available, but you just got to make sure you know where to get it in the meantime. But that kind of leads into another point I was going to make. You know, most high-level executives, these C-suite guys, they might know enough technology to get through their day. They know what they need to know, but they're not necessarily technically savvy like you three are. Nowadays, to cope with the specter of a cyber threat, how savvy does a CEO or, or another VP of a big organization need to be to be able to react to a potential cyber threat? Jimmy? My position is that you don't have to be technically savvy, but you have to be aware of the general threat and the importance of the threat. You don't have to be a malware coder, for example, but at the same time, you should know what a spear phishing email is. And I think that over the years, particularly like they say the last five to ten years, that kind of terminology has kind of become mainstream among society and, and certainly among uh, corporate executives. The real important thing that in-house counsel or the executives within a company need to do is to properly invest in cybersecurity, put the best people in charge of it, and have these types of cyber infrastructure in place so that in the event of something happening, it can move quickly. Well, it sounds like awareness and preparation are obviously so important with these looming threats or potential threats out there. Speaking of preparation, I want to return to insurance for a second because I think people listening are probably wondering what's out there and what's appropriate and so forth. Back to Rich, what can a company do to assess and improve 
its insurance company for cyber incidents? What do they look for? Well, this is another area where, as Jimmy says, a company can invest in cybersecurity and enhance their protection in significant ways. Uh, we recommend that every two or three years, a company undertake a deep review of its cyber insurance program to make sure they have the policies that they need on the best terms available in the market. And we've done this for many clients. It's a very useful exercise. Uh, it involves identifying the specific cyber risks a company faces based on its business operations. Mm -hmm and then making sure they have the right coverage to address those needs, and at the same time identifying any deficiencies or below market terms that aren't as good as what's being offered on the market by other insurers. Okay. Well, maybe I should have asked this question first, but does every company need to have cyber insurance? Uh, you know, I think the answer is yes, and I would not have said that uh, five years ago, but over the last few years we've seen uh, the increasing interconnectedness of the business world. We've seen a proliferation of threats of the sort that Jimmy and Jeff have been discussing. We've seen the elimination of cyber coverage from all other types of policies. So I think we've reached the point where, at least for any large or medium-sized company, cyber insurance should be a central part of the insurance program, and that insurance is then a central part of the breach response preparedness. If I could just sort of jump in on, on Rich's answer, which I agree with, here's kind of the way I've put it to in-house counsel. If a company doesn't have cyber coverage, that should be a knowing and informed decision. The one thing that general counsel does not want to have happen is to have a breach, have executive leadership turn to legal and say, hey, do we have coverage? And then the answer be, I don't know, or gosh, I wish we did, but we don't. So, so that's a slightly different response, but I would say that at bare minimum, there should be a um, executive level decision to not have coverage rather than just you don't have coverage because you haven't thought about it. Makes sense. Rich, do you concur? Absolutely. You know, we, we've seen some very significant breaches that were very difficult crises for companies uh, that in the end have a very low financial hit or financial cost because there's available insurance to cover the losses and the expenses. Whereas on the other hand, even a modest breach without insurance could cost millions or tens of millions of dollars. Okay, good enough. Good enough. Hey, we're going to wrap it up with one question. Panel, you've been great. Rich, Jimmy, Jeff, thanks so much. One last thing, leave our audience with this. What one concrete step would you suggest that an institution or company take to enhance its breach preparedness? One thing, what would it be? Parting thought. Let's go to Jimmy first. Well, I liked Jeff's original idea. Obviously, you're coming from different places. Uh, our listeners will come from different places here. So if you're talking about somebody who hasn't had any cybersecurity investment or anything, I would say start with getting an audit done. Make your unknowns knowns and take it from there because at that point, it'll become real to you and you'll realize how important it, things that you store electronically are and why it is so important for you to secure them. Jimmy, great insight. Jeff, what would you add? Yeah, what I would wish for is for organizations that haven't done this yet, I would wish for their executive leadership to go through a tabletop exercise, the fire drill, Dave, that you mentioned earlier, for a worst case data breach scenario. So they can get a real sense of the parade of terribles that can happen, whether or not you're prepared, so that they have a sense of just how severe these risks are. I think a little Kobayashi Maru uh, yeah. test would be healthy for any organization. Did you say parade of terribles? I did. I love that. <laughs> I'm going to write that one down. I'm going to use that sometime. Good enough. Rich, one more thought for us. 
Sure. Uh, I th- would suggest that you ask your risk management department whether your company has cyber insurance. And if the answer is no, I would inquire as to the reasons. What are the obstacles? Has the company looked into this recently? I would also ask for a summary of the coverage the company has in its other existing insurance policies for cyber risk. And then if the answer is yes, you do have cyber insurance, uh, that's good. But I would consider uh, undertaking the sort of detailed review I described earlier to make sure you're getting the best coverages available on the market. Terrific. Rich, great advice. Hey, panel, this has been great. Uh, Jimmy, Jeff, Rich, thanks so much. We've been talking today about preparing for a cyber attack, cyber threats and preparation. We're going to reassemble. Our next program is going to be about what you do in the event that you are breached. So look for that very soon. Thanks for listening to Jones Day Talks. You can subscribe to Jones Day Talks at Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher. If you've enjoyed the program, please rate and review us. I'm Dave Dalton. You've been listening to Jones Day Talks. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Jones Day Talks. Comments heard on Jones Day Talks should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. The opinions expressed on Jones Day Talks are those of lawyers appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information, please visit jonesday.com.